Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 87. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about reflections on discipline, teachers, and maintaining sanity. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of hosting another webinar for my state principals association. And as I've recorded that version, I wanted to just share some thoughts with you before playing that back um, as some takeaways from that conversation that we had. I just finished a fall break with my son, Jack. Our whole family had some fall break recently, and we were all over the place with my daughters in different areas with band and college and high school cross country and my wife helping them. And so Jack and I took a long road trip from Oklahoma to West Tennessee to visit my parents. My mom and dad live far out in the country, so far out that they receive no cell service, or at least no Wi-Fi and no internet. And it was a weekend of being unplugged. It was also a great time to be reminded that life is more than just school leadership. We took some long walks. We saw the turning leaves. We rambled through deep woods and Jack borrowed my mom and dad's shovels and went down and dug out an old spring down from our house where we used to use that spring when I was his age. You know, time away is a great time to reflect on life. And reflection is an important part of not only our personal growth, but I also believe it's an important part of our professional growth. As I reflect back on the lessons learned in school leadership, for instance, sometimes my biggest takeaways come when I think about my mistakes. And so today I want to share with you some takeaways that really came through a lot of trial and error for me. I'm not going to necessarily focus on the mistakes I've made, but I just want to give you some quick takeaways on areas that leaders often manage every single day. Discipline, working with teachers, and maintaining your sanity during really stressful times. And so... Again, this is a recording of a webinar that I just hosted recently. But as I replayed that back for you, I just want to share with you some ideas on how you can learn to discipline with dignity, how you can reflect on why teachers are such an integral part of your school, and number three, how you can maintain your sanity and be proactive during very stressful times. So let me transition over to that recording. And at the end of it, I'd like to come back with some closing thoughts. So thanks for listening. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all of my resources at my website at williamdparker.com. If you want to subscribe for a free ebook, I'll send you one called Eight Hats, Essential Rules for School Leaders. You can do so on my website. And if you'd like to check out my books, Principal Matters, or messaging matters, you can do so at my website at williamdparker.com or at Amazon or at Solution Tree Press. This morning's webinar is committed to three topics that are covered in the book, Principal Matters, the Motivation, Courage, Action, and Teamwork Needed for School Leaders. And we are discussing this week, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And the focus for this conversation is disciplining with dignity, why teachers matter so much to our schools. And then third, how to maintain sanity during stressful times. When I spent nine years as an assistant principal before the four that I spent as a site principal, a huge part of my responsibility was uh, safety, supervision, discipline, working with students. And it was a huge transition shift for me to go from classroom teacher to full-time disciplinarian. And although that wasn't all that I did, it was a huge part of what I did. And so over the years, I began to ask myself, how can I make sure that school-wide climate is 
controlled and managed as my classroom climate could be as well? And that's probably a question you've asked yourself too, because safety and discipline are a huge part of the work that we do as school leaders. I don't know how many of you guys uh, were involved in sports in school, but when I think back to my coaches, you always have a mix of memories. Some of your coaches were strong disciplinarians and disciplined through fear. Some coaches were strong disciplinarians and motivated through inspiration. Some coaches are strong at strategy. And each of us has a different personality. But one thing I think all strong leaders share in common is the fact that when they discipline or when they correct, they do so with dignity. And this word actually came home to me a few years ago after I had been involved in a student situation that required a long-term out-of-school suspension, which are the most painful conversations to have with parents and kids when they've made big mistakes that often require removal from other students. The mother that sat in this meeting with me met with a colleague of mine afterwards who was a school counselor at the time. And she came to see me and said, well, I just wanted to convey to you something that this mother said after the meeting with you today. She, she conveyed that in previous situations that her son had been involved in, she always felt like not only was he in trouble, but she was treated with contempt. And in this situation, she said she had never been treated with more dignity. And I was actually shocked for just a moment because typically I'm not brought compliments after an intense discipline scenario. And I began to just mull over in my mind, what strategies and processes are we using at our school so that a parent at the end of that process, even receiving the most strict consequences, would say, I feel like this school has treated me with dignity. And so I want to just talk today about what I consider just some quick takeaways on how do you set up school processes for making sure that in that part of our jobs that requires discipline, that we're doing so and communicating dignity at the same time. So there's actually eight takeaways that I want to communicate in this first part of our conversation. Number one is this, we have to set high expectations. And by setting high expectations, that means that you have a student handbook that's updated and consistent with your school board policies. That makes sure that you have anticipated in advance what kinds of behaviors that students may be displaying that require correction. That means that you have put in writing and students have received and signed for what those expectations are. And there are all kinds of ways that you can embed those expectations into your practices. Here are some examples. Some schools, and ours did this, would host eighth grade orientations of students that were transferring into our high school, for instance, at the end of their eighth grade year to set what those expectations would be as they're coming in, not just for behavior, but also for all the expectations we have for them academically and in their life as a high school student. Also, we had what we uh, called a freshman orientation, which in the summer we would bring in freshmen with parents and we would have student leaders present, sponsors present, teachers present for time to reflect on what the goals of our school were, to share out the ideas and experiences that those students could expect, and to set high expectations for what that year was going to look like. In addition, I would make sure that myself and counselors or our admin team members would get into every single classroom within the first two weeks of school for face-to-face interactions with students. Yes, sometimes we would still have the big assemblies where we would talk to students in mass, but I like getting into classrooms and looking at students face-to-face and talking about what are the expectations we have for you this year. And yes, it's it's a scheduling chore and it requires a lot of time. And there are other things that are on the plate of things that have to happen in those first few weeks of school. I think the more time that you can invest in seeing students and setting expectations and communicating that with teachers and families and kids, then you've created the expectations 
uh, of what that year is going to look like. And number two is this. Let consequences fit infractions. I think often when principals are trying to decide what strategies they need for school discipline, I think it's important that you use common sense. And so, for instance, if you've got problems with students being on time or you've got problems with students that are using cell phones or you've got problems with students that are distracted during class, what are the consequences that fit those infractions? They should be corrective in measure, but they should make sure that that kid is back into a learning environment as quickly as possible. However, if you have students that are involved in situations that may be criminal in nature or unsafe to the entire school environment, then those consequences are going to be much larger and often require or entail removal from that school setting, either temporarily or long-term. But you have to make sure that your consequences fit infractions. I know in my early years, sometimes I would overreact. A student might say something or do something, and because I was angry, maybe I would add on more consequences, when in fact, what needs to happen is the consequences need to fit the infractions. And so the more consistent you can be in that, the better, which leads to number three, be consistent. There's nothing more confusing to students than inconsistency. So once you've set standards on these are the discipline measures that we take for these behaviors, then follow through. And if you're getting covered up with discipline, then ask for help. One of the worst things you can communicate to kids is that this is the expectation This is the consequence, and then I never enforce it. And so don't give expectations that you can't enforce. And if you are caught in a situation where you realize, oh my goodness, I've set up so many expectations that I can't follow through on them all, then you're going to have to work diligently to follow through on the ones you have now and then set goals next year that are more realistic. You have to be consistent on what those enforcements look like. Number four, I call this be creative when necessary. And, And this is why I put three and four together because sometimes... I've talked to people who consistency to them means the same thing for the same kids all the time. And I don't believe that's necessarily always the definition of consistent. I think that sometimes we need to be creative when necessary because, for instance, whenever I would offer discipline in student situations, I would often offer options. For instance, I might equal offer equal time. You can come in in this after school setting for this amount of time or equal that time at the amount of time I'll give you for some lunch duties or equal that amount of time in the Saturday assignment. And so giving them choices often helps you be creative in meeting the needs of students in your school. Some kids don't have any access to get home other than a bus. Some kids can get rides. Some kids can walk. It's different from kid to kid. And so there are times when being creative means that you come up with alternative options that have the same time commitments, but give you the ability to still correct that behavior, have that student experience that correction, and then get them back into that learning environment as fast as possible. So yes, be consistent, but also don't be afraid to be creative. Number five, I call this be polite. I know sometimes that we forget that as disciplinarians, how intimidating our conversations can be with students. But when you flip the desk and remember what it felt like to be on the other side of that desk, and maybe you were never on the other side of the principal's desk, but I was, flip that and remember what that feels like. It's important, when, especially when you're enforcing very serious consequences, that you treat the other person like you would want to be treated in that situation. It doesn't mean that they don't receive a consequence. It just means that as you're administering it to them, you would want them receiving the same kind of treatment that you want your own own child to receive or that you would want to be receiving if you're in that same shoes. So for instance, when I would call students to my office, I would often greet them with a handshake, welcome them to sit down, talk to them like a young adult, and give them the courtesy of treating them with respect as I was also administering sometimes disciplinary action. So it's impossible to understand the value of how 
the way that we treat others in those situations can affect our relationships with them. And relationships are everything. Students cannot learn in environments where there's not rigor, relevance, and relationship. And so we can have great rigor. We can have great relevant learning. But we have to have good relationships in order to do our jobs. That doesn't mean sometimes that you don't have to be stern if it's appropriate. But it does mean that you have to do it in a way that maintains the dignity of the other person. Number six, be specific and document. I like to say it this way. If you don't write it down, it didn't happen. Evidence is an important part of the work that we do. And so if you're dealing with a student situation, for instance, that's very intense, maybe you've got a situation that would even involve criminal activity or students that are saying one thing and another student saying something contradictory, have students write down the things that they're telling you and you write down and keep notes as well. It's important for for due process. It's important to make sure that you're following board policies. And it's important to make sure that on follow through later that everyone's done what they've been asked to do with corrective measures. And so being specific and documenting things is an important part of best practices for school discipline. And number seven, serve and teach. I think it's important to realize that when you're talking about discipline, that corrective measures have to be, they have to involve an element of instruction. In other words, what's the lesson that you want someone to learn in the process of discipline? Now, I know I'm speaking mostly about conversations with students, but you know as school principals that often we're involved in corrective conversations with adults as well, whether those are teachers or teammates. And so whether you're in those situations with a peer or someone you supervise or you're correcting a student, how can you use that situation as an opportunity to serve and teach? How can you help that student see this is the direction that I want you to go or this person to see this is where we're heading together so that when we get to the end of this process, we're back on good footing. And so ask yourself the question when you're with students, what can I teach them in this process? I remember my first year as an assistant principal in the second building where I served, I had a student sit across from me who said in the middle of a conversation, she just stopped and said, I know you're new to the school this year, but I just have to say that I can tell you care because you're actually trying to teach me. And I was taken back for a moment and I realized that she was used to being brought in, given discipline, and sent back to class. That's it. You're not going to be serving well if you're not taking those opportunities to teach in the process. So figure out, even though it does take more time, how can you serve and teach while administering discipline at the same time? Number eight, communicate trust. If you're going to discipline with dignity, you have to be able to communicate to students or others that the goal is that you can trust one another. And often when people break trust is when they're having to have those difficult conversations with you. With students, what I often tell them is this, whether they've broken my trust or the trust of their parents or the trust of a teacher, the trust is earned and trust is earned over time. And so when you're being corrected and you are walking through those measures and you are earning back trust, you earn back trust by being trustworthy. And so it's important that they understand in that process that really what I'm saying is this, I still like you. Even when you do stupid things, and you probably don't want to use that word, even when you make wrong decisions, I still like you. And I want to make sure that the relationship that we have continues to go forward because ultimately our goal is to see those students be successful in school, to finish that school year, to pass their classes, if they're high school students, to walk across that stage at the end of their senior year and to celebrate together that they're on the right path. So how do we discipline with dignity? We do it by setting high expectations, letting consequences fit infractions, being consistent, being creative when necessary, staying polite, being specific in documenting, serving and teaching, and communicating trust. 
Now, let me give you an opportunity uh, to respond as well, because you might have other tips or suggestions for accountability with students too, and ways that they can share discipline. And so if you want to make a comment on the more section, you can leave some comments there. And I'd love to get some feedback from you. And at the end of our webinar today, I'll open up the mics again so we can have conversations then as well. Now, let me tell you a quick story because I wanted to make sure that this week also, before we jump into our third topic, that the second topic is a reminder of why the work that we do as educators is so meaningful and important. And I know last uh, webinar episode, we talked about the importance of appreciating teachers, but I just want to tell you two quick stories. And I want to ask you to think about something about your own work. A few years ago, I met a man named Jim Wingo, who is a retired colonel from the army. And he told me the story of a teacher named Mr. Grafanovich. And Mr. K was his teacher in the school that he, the high school that he went to in New Mexico. And when he graduated from high school, he, Jim, got a job as a butcher at a local butcher shop. But Mr. K knew how smart Jim was and wanted him to think about college. So he went to a local college and found out they were giving a civil service scholarship exam. He walked all the way down the street to the butcher shop where Jim was working and told the boss there, I need to borrow Jim. So Jim took off his apron, walked down the street with Mr. K. Mr. K took him into the exam room and made him stay there until he had completed this exam to see if he might qualify for the scholarship. And Jim did. And Jim told me that story um, after he turned 80 years old. He's a friend of mine in my community. And he was telling me that he'll never forget the power that Mr. K played in his life in recognizing what Jim needed, leading Jim to the place where he needed help, and walking him through the process of doing something that he would have never done on his own. And, you know, that story is not unique because it was only a few days later after talking to Jim that I talked to another friend whose name is uh, Dennis Queen. And he told me almost the exact same story of a teacher of his named Mr. Ross. And Mr. Ross had found out that Dennis was dropping out of high school. And Dennis had had a very rocky relationship at home. He was not uh, feeling successful in school and he was just going to quit. And Mr. Ross, who had once been a teacher, was now a principal had found Dennis and talked him into going with him to talk to a military recruiter. And so Dennis ended up enlisting in the Marines. And when he finished his tour of duty and had come back to his community, he had never even communicated with Mr. Ross through his entire enlistment. But Mr. Ross found out he was back in town and was no longer in the service. And he went and found Dennis and he took Dennis to the local college and showed him how to apply to enroll in school. Dennis became a teacher. Uh, he also was involved in ministry. Later, he became a school superintendent and had a very successful career. And both Dennis and Jim were men that gave deeply back to their communities. And as I was talking to Dennis about the story, he said, well, here's the amazing thing. I have heard over and over again from people, the stories of their life. And often what they'll say in those stories is, and then I talked to a teacher, or then I met a teacher, or then this teacher said this to me. And I began to think about how powerful that is for each of us to remember that every day as we're walking into schools and we're working with students or we're working with teachers, that we have the privilege of influencing them towards better decisions. And so this week, I want you to think about whose legacy has influenced your leadership? Whose legacy has influenced your leadership? And I also just want you to remember that you are surrounded by 
heroes because all the people that you're serving today, your teachers, your paraprofessionals, your staff members, your counselors, your custodians, your admin team members, you are a hero because you are the person that when a student meets can make such a difference in the decisions that they're going to make next. And so, yes, discipline is important in our school settings, but so is also understanding the power of your influence. Think about that this week. Whose legacy has influenced your leadership and who in your school might need some celebrating for the way that they're changing students' lives when they meet them? And that's part two of our conversation. Here, and here's part three. As you are managing all of the responsibilities that you have, so often what I'm hearing from school leaders and colleagues is how do you maintain sanity during really difficult times? How do you get it all done? And let me just first of all answer that question by saying this. You will never get the work done as a school leader perfectly. And I think I've said that before. And if you haven't heard it, let me just repeat myself that the goal isn't perfection. The goal is meaning and effectiveness. And so that doesn't equal perfection. But I do believe that there are productive habits that you can create that help you to maintain sanity during stressful times. And so I want to, for part three of today's conversation, talk about that and give you a case study of how that has helped in the work that I've, that I've been involved in. And I can remember the first year that I transitioned from assistant principal into side principal. I had some of the same emotions that I had had when I had become a new teacher, when I had become a new assistant principal, when I had moved buildings. The first year that you do anything can often have that, that angst or that feeling overwhelmed at transition. But I remember because I was managing my old responsibilities and my principal had retired, I had not replaced my old position yet. I was managing two jobs at once. And I remember stopping for a moment and reflecting and thinking, okay, I've had this feeling before, feeling overwhelmed. How did I make it through those old times of feeling overwhelmed that might be helpful for me to make it through this transition? And I found that that transition was easier because I took time to reflect. And so here are just a few takeaways that I want to share with you today on just some things to keep in mind as you're trying to maintain sanity or stay productive in your time. And so here are five takeaways here. So let me share these four and then I'll follow up with one more at the end. Number one, keep a sensible schedule where you can. I, I had a friend of mine who was a composer, a music composer, and every winter he would host this huge event, a Christmas concert with an orchestra, a full orchestra, and music that he had written himself. And every fall, as he was going into the busiest time of his, of his year to get ready for that concert, he would begin biking every morning. And I remember thinking to myself, why, why is he so committed to biking every morning during the crunch time of his year? And I realized later that the reason he was committing to increasing his exercise at the hardest time of his work year was because he needed to have enough energy and creativity to accomplish his goals. And so believe it or not, sometimes when I'm in my most stressful times of school, I will increase the time that I'm exercising. And that's hard because that means I have to get up super, super early in the morning. And even in the position I'm doing with COSA, I still get up super early in the morning and I try to run or work out or do something healthy that will help me to have the energy and the creativity that I need to accomplish my work. Now, that may be different for you, and you may have some different times of day that those things work for you, but let me just encourage you. It's always a sacrifice, but if you make the sacrifice to keep your schedule healthy where you can, and sometimes that involves nutrition, sometimes that involves time with family, but where you can, keep it sensible so that you can serve others with energy. Number two, accept you're not always in complete control. I think that's one of the hardest things for leaders to accept is that at the end of the day, you may not accomplish every single thing on your to-do list. So you have to be able to prioritize what's important 
And how can I accomplish those things so that I'm making sure that the most important things are accomplished, even if some things have to become secondary or put off till later? Number three, I think it's important that you maintain a to-do list. And you may already have a great to-do list, but if you don't, you cannot keep everything in your mind. If you try to keep it all in your mind, your stress level will just continue to increase and increase and increase. So get it down, whether it's on paper, a shared Google Doc, a to-do list. Um, Some people use a website called Todoist. And so whatever it is, put your things down someplace where you know that your ideas have been captured in a list. And then number four, let others know you need help. One of the hardest things for leaders to do is to admit, I'm overwhelmed. But as soon as you begin to tell your teammates, hey, guess what? I need some feedback on this, or I need some help on this, or I might, I'm feeling a little bit stressed right now about this. I have discovered that over the years, the people that are around you often have great suggestions or ideas or even are willing to collaborate around solutions. So let others know that you need help. Now, let me show you a quick case study of what I mean by this. I can remember at the end of my first year as a site principal, being overwhelmed with that closing out the school year where you're making sure your graduation's ready, you're making sure that report cards are ready, you're making sure that all the reports to the State Department are ready, you're making sure that you're getting your hiring posted, you're making sure that all of those general to-dos are being addressed so that you can close out the year and get prepared for that next launch. And so each season that I run into a time where the to-dos are very long, I create lists of things. And this is just an example of some of those lists that I would create, like for instance, at the end of a school year. And I share these lists with my team on a shared Google Doc where they can see the same things that are on my list that are on theirs. Typically, I'll call a meeting with my team and say, listen, here are the things that I'm working on and that I may need your help in working on or some things that I may need to assign for you to give me numbers about. And we go through each item to make sure that someone's name is beside it or some kind of follow-up is included in those to-dos. Uh, my list is, is long. I've even included some of the things that we do that are miscellaneous, like planning out next year's duty rosters or emergency drill booklets or coming up with sponsor assignments or coming up with updates throughout the school that need to be taken care of with renovations. And so whatever it is, you can see from this list some of the same things that you've been managing. If you share those things and write them down, schedule time with others on your team and figure out how can you take them one at a time, then you begin to accomplish your goals. And my last point is this, keep your work in perspective. I'll never forget, and this story does have a meaning, so let me tell it to you quickly. When I was in some, uh, when I was in high school and college, I did a lot of work, including diving for shells in the Tennessee River, but I also did a lot of yard work around the, the college that I attended. And one day I showed up at a job where we had been asked to clear five acres of leaves from a property that was covered with trees. And I remember being so overwhelmed that I looked at this and I looked at the rakes that I had and the rakes that the guys with me had. And I was like, there's no way we're going to get this job done in one day. And the guy that was standing beside me said something that was so wise for a 19-year-old. He said, well, we won't get it done if we don't start one rake at a time. And I have never forgotten that lesson because by the end of that day with some hard work and ingenuity and some creativity and using mowers to blow leaves and pulling in blankets to pull off stuff, we, we got that property completely clean. And every time I run into a huge overwhelming moment, whether it's at school or whether even if it's personal, I try to remind myself, what's the next step I can take towards clearing the path? And so let me just remind you that maintaining sanity also just means keep your work in perspective. You're not going to be perfect, but you can accomplish those things one shovel full at a time, one rake full at a time. And when you team with others, then together your work 
uh, is improved exponentially because you are not creative or smart enough to figure out all the answers on your own. This week, as you're thinking about in your schools, how do I maintain a safe and orderly environment where I'm disciplining with dignity? How do I remind myself that I'm surrounded by team players who are making a difference in the lives of kids? And how do I maintain sanity when I sometimes have lists that are overwhelming of things to do? Then keep in mind that you will never do those things perfectly, but that one step at a time, one day at a time, over time, you see incredible improvement. Last week, I was doing a presentation with new principals, and we were looking at research together that shows that significant change in a school typically happens after a school leader has been there for three to five years. And so over time, you begin to see those changes, deep changes that are happening in schools. Thank you for the work that you're doing in that day-to-day work with students, day-to-day work with teachers to make sure that those students feel safe, that your teachers feel encouraged, and that you're accomplishing your goals. Principal Matters listeners, thank you for the time that you took to listen to that conversation today. You know, when Jack and I visited my mom and dad this past fall break, we heard a lot of stories about my childhood. And later during our drive home, I remember Jack saying, Dad, one thing I liked about our visit was being so far away from our normal life of home and school. And as I was driving, I was thinking about how taking walks down memory lanes can sometimes reintroduce us to ideas or practices that we can now see in a fresh perspective. And leadership lessons can be the same way. When I look back in retrospect at managing student discipline, identifying strong teachers, maintaining productivity, each of these areas still affects the cultures of schools today. And ultimately, your commitment to creating positive environments in every area will set the tone for the learning and growth in your school. So don't expect perfection. But let me ask you this question and takeaway. What is one step that you can take this week to increase the high expectations and maintain those high expectations for your students or teachers? How can you recognize and celebrate when your teachers are being effective and helpful and serving others? And what is one way that you can plan ahead right now for managing those tough seasons that you'll have coming soon? Well, thank you again for taking time to listen to this podcast. If you could share this out with others, if you find these podcasts helpful, please do. And if you can go to iTunes and rate this podcast, it makes it more visible to others as well. Until next time, thank you for the work that you do with students and teachers and schools, because what you do matters. 